0: Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to the Sixth Sense Report with Joel Nikoloff and Darnell Samuels.
1: Oh, man. I'm looking forward to uh, continuing the conversation, but with that uh, we had with uh, Julie Panessi, or, or I should say, Dr. Julie Panessi. Uh, but I'm excited for me and you to sort of have our, let's call it the first debrief uh, of an interview. I'm sure, you know, yeah, we've yeah, done yeah. it. Yeah, yeah,
0: debrief. <laughs> I like that. Debrief. Um, yeah that's good yeah that's what this is given some commentary on the last
1: recording we did and Uh, and as the audience can tell it's called part one so if you hear this the day it comes out or the first couple days it comes out feel free to to give us your feedback and And tell us well no but but tell us if you have questions or things you might want us to talk about in part two uh, but if they haven't listened to part one oh yeah obviously part one yeah you don't if you haven't listened to part one this this conversation might not make so much sense uh, right. But yeah. if you've listened to part one, you're listening to this conversation, uh, hit us up on social media at Sixth Sense Report, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Sense Report at gmail.com. Tell us, you know, what you want to hear maybe us talk about in part two uh, as we're going to continue to dive down the uh, virtue and vaccines or, or rabbit ethics hole. and vaccines <laughs> rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> what? Um, oh my gosh that, that's funny you know, actually you know what i think this episode i gotta double check but i think this episode is doing pretty good numbers wise
1: oh yeah yeah no no it's it it uh yeah we're we're already sort of above the average and this is uh like two days into oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah 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 actually yeah yeah I'm, I'm checking
0: out the numbers and i'm like it's yes, definitely um above our our average
1: which is yeah which no, is I mean, really basically good. in two days it's above the first week average, I should put it. That, that's yes. the best way of putting it. Normally by the kidding. end of the first week, we're probably just around these numbers and, mm-hmm. and it's already above that. So Yeah,
0: and and, and I think, it, and like I said before, I think it's, a, it's, it's definitely a timely episode. And, and this is something that Joel and I haven't done before, um, a debrief of an episode just because of the depth of the content and we weren't able to go as in depth as we'd like to just because just of time constraints. Uh, the episode was like less than an hour uh so
1: and hence why there's a part two that's why there's a part two maybe part three yeah who knows, who knows? we'll see we'll see how the conversation goes and, and where we end right. up and you know what do we get through versus what we yeah. don't get through yeah. yeah Good.
0: all right okay good 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 okay so so this is a little different vibe so let's just start with the two cents joe what's your two cents based so far on what you heard from the last episode
1: i mean i'll say my two cents might sound a little abstract but my biggest like I really enjoy the conversation i really I really like the way that we're discussing things and and you know the way that I describe what we do on this show to a lot of people is that I absolutely hate politics, but we want to have conversations about ideas that precede political actions and and I think this is a prime example of deep ideas being discussed and and digging into it. And this is the kind of thing that I think in such a, let's call it, uh, the pandemic as a societal emergency, this is the kind of conversation that needs to be had as a means to evaluate our particular political actions justified. But we're not having that conversation. So um, yeah, for me, that it's, it's actually just weeding through this topic of, you know, what is good? What is common good? Um, you know, the biggest, there, there's sort of, Two really big ideas that I thought we, you know, I asked her the question, but she went down the rabbit hole a little bit of, um, you know, justifying the harming one person for the benefit of the, of the collective. Um, and I think collectivism versus individualism is such an important topic um, as, you know, socialism and cultural Marxism and Marxism and have become so prominent in society again. Um, okay. And then the second, um, I think she said something I was really, really happy here because I always I, I would say I think this way, but it was profound to hear an ethics professor make this statement, which was uh, I'm not going to quote her specifically, but this is the way I put it. She found when she was asked to to write sort of when could you justify a vaccine mandate, and she said there was no. I started to write it out, and I got to the point at the end where there was no scenario where a vaccine mandate could be vaccine, vaccine mandate could <laughs> yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. justified ethically. Because the loss of bodily autonomy is too high of a cost, Okay, um, which essentially comes down to the concept of rights. And, and owning yourself is the most fundamental property right. If you don't own yourself, no other property right matters. If you don't have bodily autonomy, I would argue no other property right matters. Uh, without going down the rabbit hole, the idea there is that the way that people acquire land rights historically with the idea of homesteading was that they mixed their labor i.e. themselves their property with the land such that Mm -hmm. you could no longer segregate and that's where property rights become derived now obviously you have the idea of exchanging it later um but the original concept of owning property was i've mixed my labor with this land and now it's it's both me and the land kind of thing um and so i thought really getting into bodily autonomy and the tie into rights um yeah, that would, my two cents is that those, these, these ideas are so important and they're so highly ignored or so unknown or so ignorantly understood by vast majority of, of society. Mm-hmm. So what about you? What's your uh, two cents? What's your takeaway? What are you maybe uh, excited about that, that we've you know, started discussing?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, well, before I get into my two cents, I just wanted to um, take a penny away from you. <laughs> depending you from your thoughts uh you, you hit a good point that kind of that really uh reached out to me as well the point about um not having conversations and I think that's from my research on her and checking out her previous content that's been a point a speaking point she's always been hitting on and and she said it this way in one of her last interviews, and she said that you know the argument. And I guess this is an apologetic here, um, in regards to giving a defense for why you may not want to get vaccinated. And so she's basically saying that, like, if somebody comes to you and says, "Okay, Joel, you know, why do you disagree with um, Doctor Tam?" Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so Doctor Tam is um, the authority figure, Teresa Tam, Chief Public Health Officer of Canada. So she's studied more than you, Joel. So how can you disagree with the expert, the subject matter expert, right? Because she's the authority, you're not. She knows more than you. So the conversation's over. On paper. But that's, well, yeah, but that's not, but that's not the argument. And that's somewhat Mm -hmm. of a straw man. So it's not about, does Joel, does Joel know more than Teresa Tam? It's why isn't Teresa Tam having conversations with people that disagree with her?
1: Yes. And right? I yeah. think there's, it's, it's, there's two parts to that. One is why aren't we having subject matter experts having conversations with other subject matter experts that disagree? For yeah. like, if you wanted to take the appeal to authority, um, there's a level to that sort of uh, fallacy where there's some truth that experts are going to most likely have a more uh, depth knowledge that will mean that they're more likely to be able to contribute something of substance to the conversation. The problem, I think, with society is that it doesn't mean that a non-subject matter expert can't comprehend enough to ask intelligent questions or to challenge bad or potentially bad ideas held by the subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, If anything, the concept of compartmentalization or specialization Think of it in the sense of we use this in biblical sense, using seeing the forest for the trees, right? If you're the subject matter expert, you could be so deep at the tree level that you miss the forest. And the non-subject matter expert can ask the questions at the forest level, potentially better than you, not because they lack the or because you lack, you know, the ability to see it, but because you're so deep you haven't taken a step back to look at it at that level.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 totally. And so that's what I thought that was a, a great point where we're not seeing those conversations uh, um, yeah. at the higher level. And because those conversations are not happening at a higher level, they're not happening at the kitchen table, um, they're not happening in the car, uh, they're not happening in the church or between friends because, you know, those people who are um, above us. Aren't setting the example of what that discourse looks like. So it's very dismissive um, and it polarizes that one person is right, one person is wrong, one person is doing good, one person is doing evil. Um, and so, just very simply, we have to get back to a point of having dialogue instead of monologue. Mm. Um, right. And especially as Christians, um, you know, we know that our strongest weapon. In regards to communicating the gospel, is dialogue, not monologue. So it's very important that we use our words, we use our definitions, we use grace, we listen um, before we speak, um, be slow to speak, and so forth. So this is why I think is, is one of the one of those points that that she con- constantly hits at, and I think it's a point that um, could definitely turn the tide um, if if people start uh,
1: trying to practice this principle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm no right. it's it's i mean it's I so the idea of having conversations with people you disagree with is like she said that she said this great she said that is um something similar she's like that is a moral good i don't maybe butchering it slightly but the idea of yeah no that's what essentially you, yeah, that's what disagreeing people or or people presenting a disagreeing idea is a moral good and this mm-hmm. is where you know, the, the quotes that I would think people who may be on our side or, or even just are paying attention to the conversations right now, you know, statements like the people on the historically, those have been censoring, book burning are never on the right side of history. That's to me, that's the other side or, or sort of a, a off the cuff comment version of what she has said. It's the same thing, right? The disagreement and willingness to listen to ideas, whether they're good, bad or indifferent is not the point actually taking in skeptics and listening to their perspectives and, and either refuting them or engaging with them uh, is the reason why I would say it's a moral good. We can go back to what Nick Hudson said on our podcast months ago now. He had this great line, centralization removes the means for error correction, i.e., when you centralize ideas such that the ministry of truth decides what's true, you have removed the means for error correction. So when the Ministry of Truth holds a wrong idea, how do we identify that it's wrong when you've essentially censored or silenced, or in the case of, let's say, public officials in Canada, we have not engaged their questions. We've just deemed them as deniers, conspiracy theorists, whatever you know slang you want to throw out there so that people will stop listening.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so for my two cents, my takeaway was when she opened up and had a great question. And she said, when do we know when we are succeeding morally? So I thought that was a great question. And then at the end of the um, show, she says, "Uh, morality does not require perfection. And and, and I had to kind of sit on that for a bit and kind of like say, hmm morality does not require perfection and i was and then i was like actually no i think i would disagree with that humbly disagree with that um and and it's funny because in the start of the show she was like yeah yeah we agree but there's points we probably disagree and we should continue to disagree and have those conversations. So I was like, okay, so who knows? Um, and
1: in your mind, you're probably like, nah, we probably agree pretty much on most things.
0: Yeah, but but, but here, here's a point where I, I would give some pushback uh, to her um, on, on this. Uh, and so, so the idea that morality does not require perfection, um, I would disagree because in order to know something is morally right, morally good, you need a standard and biblically speaking that standard is uh you know perfection holiness holiness which means to be separate set apart right? set apart and so that's how we know we are um um moving closer to the mark and being in a secular um culture you know they remove the standard you remove the perfection and you're just, and everything becomes relative and this is where this is why we're in um, such a hot mess right now. So I think that answers the previous question she had. When do we know when we are succeeding morally? Well, we know we are succeeding morally when we're moving closer to that standard, closer to that perfection. And that standard is is something that sits outside of us. We're not. I'm not saying, okay, well, I'm a better person than Joel, or I'm trying to do what Joel's doing. But we're saying, okay, well, the ultimate standard, and I mentioned this before in the start that. It is God. God is the ultimate standard of good, and so the idea that God is the ultimate standard of good is which is where we all of all good derives from, right? So uh, when I think about the, uh, and I'm, I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with this, but um, the youth of Afro dilemma, right? Are you familiar? Are you familiar with that? No, Joel?
1: I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, okay. sounds like all you right. said Afro dilemma.
0: No, 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 the Euthyphro, Euthyphro, E-U-T-Y, T-H-Y-P-H-R-O dilemma. It actually, it's something I learned um my first year at Tyndale, um, taking, I think it was apologetics. But the Euthyphro dilemma, right? And it was something that that we all had to learn. And so the idea is that um it's it's from Plato's dialogue. Mm. Right? And so Socrates is having a conversation with, with Euthyphro, and he asks him this dilemma, and he says, does God love good action because it is good, or is good action good because God because it is loved by God?
1: Mm.
0: Right? I'll say that again. Does God love good action because it is good, or is good action good because it is loved by God? And so the answer to the question is, well, it's a false dilemma. Mm-hmm. It's neither. Mm. It's neither right well this is the christian answer right it's it, yeah. it's a false dilemma it's neither that is um god the good is god because god is the ultimate good mm-hmm. right good is god because god is the ultimate good and so uh the 10 commandments are um not just arbitrary rules god made up but they are um they derive from god's character right and so this is where we are so When we apply it, it's if God's law is not overruling government um, or the world, then some kind of super state must provide that standard. Mm. Right? And this is how we know we're hitting the mark and we're moving in the right direction. Now, of course, we all know that, you know, we're a postmodern society, we're moving away from God. And as we moved away from God, we became more uh, relative um, in
1: our understanding of what's Right and wrong, and now Dude, once this, the pressures applied This past summer, my my pastor made a reference that, yeah, you know, I think it's the the word of the year for twenty sixteen was post truth. Post truth. Okay, all right. This that's just cool. resonates with what you're saying, right? Like the idea we're moving away from objective truth. Yes. To relativism. Yes.
0: Yeah, 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 and 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 I would also throw in there subject matter experts, where where that's where. We're deriving it from, and, and I love the fact that we opened up with talking about collectivism, and that being the the moral principle people are working from in in regards to knowing what's 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 um, right or wrong. But I think um, just to be clear, to to make sure we have our sections sorted out. So in 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 ethical theory, right? There's there's three types of schools of thought. And, and it's, it's not too complicated, but it's just overarching categories because I, I need categories to organize my thoughts. So there's deontological systems. Oh, and, and sorry, this is from the book uh, called... This is from the book... Oh, it's called Moral Choices and Introduction to Ethics by Scott B. Um, B. Ray. And so he, he talks about deontological systems. And deontological systems are rules. Right, they're the rules in which we figure out what's right and wrong. Simple, the teleological systems, teleological meaning end goal or outcome. In the Greek, um, it's basically talking about okay, well, utilitarianism, right, which is um, seeking the greatest good for the greatest number of people, or um, as um, as Doctor Ponessi pointed out, was that these are it's an aggregate good when we look at the utilitarianism but then also um there's also this other school of thought under the theological system that is um egoism right where people would say okay well that's a school of thought saying okay well it's all about individualism it's all about the individual right Hmm. so you have the collective which is good for the collective or good for the individual um the the ethical egoism and but but for the christian right we're saying okay well it's not necessarily either or right but we're seeing okay well what is best or what's more glorifying to god so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of god first corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 and then the last school of thought is relativism and we all know what that is that's where there is no such thing as right or wrong. Everything is relative.
1: It's, it's largely uh, the majority rule or majority standard. Almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: most people, yeah, it's, it's relativism. And, um, and, and, and that, that's the scary part. But I think it's important to make sure we have these categories um, so that we're clear on what, what direction we're going into. Um, because when it comes to ethical issues, you know, we want to be able to um, speak with accuracy.
1: Mm -hmm. especially
0: for Christians, you know, we want to speak with biblical accuracy because we don't want to get it right to be on the right side of history, right? We want to get it right to glorify God and be helpful
1: um, uh, to our fellow man. Yeah. What's, what's, what's interesting. uh, So first uh, let me, there's two points I want to make. One is uh, maybe give you the pushback. I'll save this one. I'll come back to it. Give you the pushback that I think she might give you um, on, Mm -hmm. on sort of the, her question that you're, you know, Oh, okay. Actually, yeah. actually, let me hear that. Let me hear that. Okay. Um. So, w- w- sorry. What's the statement again? What was her statement again that, that um, you started okay.
0: with? Okay. So, so, so. Um. When do we know when we are succeeding morally? She said that in the start, yeah. And then and at the end, second. she said morality does not require perfection.
1: Yeah. So, um, I think, I think she would agree with all of the things you said in regards to you know uh, an objective standard for let's call it. I'll use the term righteousness. Instead, mm-hmm. just as a point of clarification. Um, I think what she's using the way she's speaking about morality, and maybe maybe I'm wrong, maybe we'll get into this with her um a bit. Maybe not. Keep a
0: strong I mean, man free, man. Keep a strong exactly. man no, free. No.
1: And and I think what she would say <laughs> is in in a pluralistic society, mm-hmm. that's where perfection wouldn't apply to morality because not everybody has the same standard. And so morality has to take into account those that use relative versus those that use objective now as a christian we would say righteousness is defined by an objective standard and so i think she might uh try to walk the line a little bit with regards to saying well i'm not using the the word in the way that you're defining it M- maybe i'm wrong maybe maybe she's got a slightly different point but the reason the reason i say that is that i don't think you're necessarily disagreeing with her because i don't necessarily think she holds the view in the way that you've you know couched it and and yeah
0: yeah yeah you're right i I agree yeah i think you're right because i don't think she would deny because she also teaches critical thinking so in order to be able to use logic and critical thinking you have to you have to think objectively so you have to acknowledge that there is a such thing as objective absolute truth
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: right but but it, it but it was just a phrase that that she mentioned and she's mentioned it before i think in in, in her other talks
1: right, right? Yeah. so as, so as maybe a, maybe that's a way we can start the interview is just get launchpad like what do you mean by that why do you say it that way uh as opposed to necessarily you know giving your pushback but it getting her to expound the point and maybe it'll come up in our uh part two debrief if uh if that's something we decide to do um
0: yeah 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 <laughs> if it's necessary yeah because I, <laughs> I just think it's important that that we're hitting that point mm-hmm. to make sure that we're clear on our standards, because even like you know Christians, um, especially if you're if you're not biblically literate and, you, and you're not familiar with the text, you believe in the Lord, but you're not familiar with the text, and you just get carried away by every wind of doctrine, mm-hmm. and you're not sure what is um, the good, what is true, mm-hmm. right, what is real. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So the second point I wanted to make was was going back to the uh, collectivism and individual, right? Because What's funny is when she started talking about rule utilitarians, right? mm-hmm. what, what she was really Which saying, goes under deontological systems. Yeah. And, and what, what essentially that sort of represents is this idea that we want to do the collective good and we've come up with these rules to protect the individual. The reason I wanted to go there is that I think those rules essentially represent property rights. In, in a, or, or the concept of rights, the rule utilitarian goes, oh, well, if we recognize this, and, and maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but that's not the point, though, because I want to take it somewhere in a second. Mm-hmm. The rule utilitarians essentially go, okay, here's these individual rights that we need to protect so that we don't allow individual harms because they result in a greater good. <laughs> the simplest example I can think of is like, oh, let's kill this one person, steal all of their organs, and we can save eight people. Like, you know, someone could mm-hmm. argue that's a for the greater good, but the rights would per, having the concept of rights is what prevents the rule utilitarian from a, saying, "Yep, that person qualifies. We're just going to kill them and take their organs." Mm-hmm. So the reason I wanted to go there is to go well the individual route, right? Like, what is the perp- Why do people go away from individualism and and go towards collectivism? Well, I would think for the most part. It's this idea that, oh, if everyone's self-serving, they're just going to, you know, take the raid versus trade. They're just going to steal from everyone else. They're going to no respect for each other. You know, you're just going to end up with mob rule, right? This is sort mm-hmm. of the the argument against whether it be an anarchist or or free mar- a hardcore free market view or whatever the sort of very, very different, whether even laissez-faire, right? There would be this argument that, well, the harms are going to happen, and this is where you know the free market economist perspective is that it is the concept of rights that results in when a right is violated restitution is necessary that prevents such a thing and and what's funny is you're essentially seeing these collectivist ideologies going well we need to protect the individual and what i'm saying is that the way that we i really focus on let everybody work out what is perfect in their own scenario mm-hmm. they're going to be forced to respect other people's rights because of individualism and individualism will then result in when i need to do something that's going to be a slight harm to you let's say you know something not so oh i want to i want to build something on my land and in order to make it fit i need to you know move the property line by like a foot Mm-hmm. Well, the way I do that is by compensating my neighbor and saying, hey, can we move the property line? Can I buy an extra foot off you? I'm, is this enough money? Is this enough money? And, and there's a, I'm going to cause him harm because he's going to lose some property, but I'm going to compensate him for that harm.
0: Okay. So are you saying that you're a uh, rule utilitarian?
1: No, I'm saying that the rule utilitarian is essentially identifying the things that make the free market hardcore positions, why the free market h- hardcore position is argued. The things that they're trying what? to ado- sorry what S- say things- that a different way okay. man the things they're trying to adopt to prevent individual harms are the fundamental basis for why the free market position is argued as going to be the best outcome.
0: Okay, so are you a rule utilitarian?
1: No, I-, I would say I'm not utilitarian in any sense. I'm what I'm saying is that what so come back <laughs> around the- they're looking at it for the greatest good. And I'm saying the actual individualistic perspective by protecting individual rights, by limiting the ability for the collective to harm the individual, and basically the only time you can do harm to the individual is when you're causing restitution for the harms the individual has already caused. When you're doing that, that will result in the greatest good. So I'm actually saying that the things that they recognize as oh we need to respect these individual things so that we don't infringe too much Mm -hmm. so that we can achieve the greatest good is actually by trying to do the collectivist things if you weren't trying to do them but you left the individuals to their freedom that they would result in the greatest good and and the reason why i want to bring it up is like it's it's somewhat ironic that the basis for the individualistic free market arguments is the thing the rule utilitarian's Look to to go. Well, we need to take these things to make sure we don't cause harm. So I, I'm I'm hopefully my point isn't being lost. That what I'm trying to say is that it's the the irony of the the scenario of those hyper collectivists that go. Oh, we need to recognize X, Y, and Z things. In and those are actually the basis of the free market position that would argue you're going to result in a greater prosperity. And so when I say greater prosperity, just let me contextualize it. What I would say by that is the lowest levels of society are going to have higher standards of living than they do under the scenario where the collectivist tries to raise up the lowest levels. I'm not saying there will be less inequality. No, because th- I don't think that's a proper standard. It's to me, when I make all my free market arguments, when I make my all my individual rights arguments, the, the purpose or the objective, or, or sorry, what I would argue the result is going to be is that the lowest levels of society will be better off i.e. will have less percentage of people in poverty like i mean the bible always says there's always going to be the poor there's always going to be whether it be the sick the orphan what like there's always going to be people within society that are harmed that have been harmed or need help or need charity the question becomes what how do we minimize that and i think too much of the collectivist view tries to stamp it out and pretend like well they have this utopian way of like we can make it all go away. Mm-hmm. Right, because I guess
0: looking at the utilitarian view, right, which is theological in the sense that it's looking at okay, well what is the good? Is the good for the collective or is it the good for uh the individual? Um and Part of it is, and that's why I was making that point that, okay, well, before we define, before we, we don't, we can't define the good by what the individual wants or, or, or what, the, what the collective wants. Uh, and so there, there's an essay, 1958 essay by British philosopher, Elizabeth Anscombe. And she argued that without a concept of a divine lawgiver, it is difficult or perhaps impossible to give an, um, an explanation of why something is morally right or wrong. And so the idea is that, again, it comes back to what is the good and making sure that we're, we're hitting the right point. So someone might argue that, um, and, and, and she says, or this is actually from Wayne Grudem's uh, book, Christian Ethics and Introduction to Biblical Moral Reasoning. And he says, uh, someone might argue that it's right uh, to do an action that brings about good results. But how can we define what a good result is? Someone might suggest that a good result is one that increases happiness for us or other people, or that brings about the greatest amount of happiness for people. But that does not really solve the problem. What gives us the basis for, say, for saying that it is good to bring about happiness, right? Just mm-hmm. because people like to be happy does not provide a convincing answer for why happiness ought to be or why it is a morally good thing. Many people say um, they like things that other people would say are morally evil. How can we find something outside of ourselves? That will provide a final answer to the question of why something ought to be, and this is why we need to come back um, to the scriptures, especially as Christians. And and when we're having these conversations about uh, vaccines and COVID, that that we're we're having our conversations that aren't just um, puppeting uh speaking points from the right or left, but we're 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 using text from the scripture and appealing to the to the conscience of the Christian and also drawing out the logical conclusion of unbelievers in their moral authority because if they don't have a standard, this is where you got them cornered. And you can and you can push them to mm-hmm. their logical conclusion with their moral theory and say, okay, well
1: based well, on what?
0: <laughs> yeah, based on what. Yeah. Like and, and and that's why I said it in the last episode. That's why I said like yeah like at one point enslaving black people was cool lynching black people was a good thing
1: Mm -hmm. right
0: the holocaust was a good thing did so this is it right (laughs) right so what it says we're no different Mm
1: -hmm. right we're Mm -hmm.
0: we're no different than than what what they were doing in the past if you don't have an objective moral standard if there is if there is um a a divine moral law there must be a divine moral law giver
1: Mm Hmm. Mm Hmm. well and and i think for me what I was sort of making the case about individualism and, and things like that, the part that gets lost in the, you know, use the example I gave with like, you know, the one person being killed for their organs to save eight people, right? Mm-hmm. The problem in that context is that, it goes back to what, what I said was the big takeaway that I took away from what Julie had said, right? There's no scenario where the vaccine mandate is justified because the loss of bodily autonomy is too costly. The significance of that is that, or, or why that ties back in is the, the concept, adding the concept of time, right? Like the utilitarian would make the judgment on a time horizon of immediately. In the immediate, that looks to reap the most benefit for the collective. The rule utilitarian starts to go, well, over time, this loss of bodily autonomy is too costly. And so, you know, I always say when I, when I make the arguments about what's good or what's going to result in the greatest good or, you know, from a societal, not so much the Christian good standard, you know, what is going to result in the most prosperity is probably a better way of putting it. I use the economic principles because we need to look on the long run scale. We don't just look at the individual scenario, what's going to result in the greatest prosperity. No, over 30 years, if we continue in this trajectory well, how will incentives change? How will things change such that the consequences or, as we've mentioned on the show I really loved this point, too, that you had made, um, we can test the logical, or we can test the um, consequences of these moral ideas. And, and that's where adding the time horizon is so important. Um, and I would suggest that, you know, good example, the current discourse today, there's no concept of, if we do this today, To to solve this problem, i.e., you know, we want to put in this mandate to resolve this problem with COVID. What are the long term consequences of mandates like this being permitted in society? Mm -hmm. Right, that conversation is not being had because we're just ignoring the time horizon concept. We're ignoring all of these things because we need to solve this immediate problem and at any by any means necessary. All right
0: all right brother malcolm
1: (laughs) i didn't even mean to do that that's jokes
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so guys uh let us know what you guys think of this past episode and and this episode uh and are there any
1: questions you wanted us uh to ask or speaking points and if you think this is an important conversation or the conversation with julie's imp- share the episode send it to people i would say to yeah, you, you know send real, it man. probably sending it in a personal message is probably the best way you can you know help out yeah. the show think of normal uh business what's the best way word of mouth right so um, yep,
0: you know yep. good uh, yeah good news travels fast
1: yeah exactly so share right. the episodes you know uh as I we always try to do a really good job with show notes page uh mm. telling your friends they can always find it by googling or, or searching Google, forget google uh searching in any podcast app the six Sense report uh yes. or or six cents com. so um, like share hook us up uh, we, we appreciate and,
0: it and and also uh also uh check out the youtube page we're on youtube and we actually have a playlist of uh the best speaking points from our past conversations uh so so check it out uh so sometimes i know like not everybody has time to sit down through a, a, a whole episode, um, but there are five-minute, two-minute, three-minute, ten-minute, fifteen-minute snippets that you can uh, that yeah. the specific thing that you're looking for, um, and then get a bite-sized taste of uh, the Six Sense Report.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, not every episode's like that, but uh, obviously, if if you like that, if you think we should be doing more of that, maybe uh, give us a shout out that you want to help us out and uh, contribute some time because we're uh, we could always use some extra hands on deck if, extra uh, hands on deck <laughs> if you think uh, you know we need more of those short videos so
0: yeah 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 so uh, yeah please contact us let us know if you're trying to get in touch with me I'm do good at Darnell on, on Instagram and Twitter that's D-O-G-U-D-D-A underscore Darnell Darnell Samuels on Facebook
1: and I'm T N 39 everywhere
0: Sixth Sense Makes Change baby but you heard me does that make sense?
1: Madden and Michel Media.